I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Imagine yourself back in the summer of 2020. I know, it feels like a lifetime ago. It was still the early stages of the pandemic, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, and racial justice protests were happening across the country. There were serious discussions around police reforms, both locally and nationally. For the small, wealthy coastal town of Tiburon, located just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, those conversations were triggered by a traumatic incident that happened to Yema Khalif and Howie Awash. They're the owners of Yema, the only Black-owned shop in town. They both immigrated here from Africa, the husband from Kenya, the wife from Ethiopia, and they said that they came here because they wanted to make their way in the world and uh, start this business. That's Joshua Sharp. He's a criminal justice reporter at The Chronicle. And they had these grand plans of being able to help people with the business. They have a scholarship they run out of there, and they really are always trying to to find ways to help the communities. The store is named after the husband, Yema. It sells African print clothing, and 20% of the store's proceeds go towards educating orphans in the owner's native countries. Their relationship to the city of Tiburon took a turn one late night in August 2020. The couple and a friend were at the store processing inventory when a patrol officer showed up. So the body cam footage shows this police officer walking up to Yema, and this officer approaches and he knocks on the door. And then Mr. Khalif comes to the door and asks what he needs. Hey guys, you guys, I've never seen you open this late. Yeah. You just restocking? No, we're just doing our thing. What's just up? doing your thing? What's yeah. your thing? What's up? Well, I just, I've never seen anyone in the store this yeah, late. problem? The interaction after that is that Mr. Khalif seems offended by what's going on because he feels like this is happening because he and the other people in the store are black. And at one point, uh, the police officer says, I have a problem with you three being in the store right is now. Is this your I'll store? That's why. why I'm asking you. This town is my duty to protect. And Mr. Khalif's response was, So what stand out to you? Like, there's three black people in a the store? There's three so people. You're gonna, no. Sir, you can be black, white, Hispanic. No. Absolutely, sir. There's going to be three black people in a store. You're going to come around and try to, like, you know. I don't want to argue. I just want you to tell me why you're here. And this idea about why are you here you know, that many black people are tired of being asked this question to prove that they belong where they belong. And this led to an argument. I'm not answerable to you. Do you guys have keys to to the building? I don't have to tell you shit. You do. I do not. Absolutely, you do. I do not have to tell you shit. So Joshua, as we're listening to this body cam footage, it stood out to me that Yema seems to stand his ground and assert his rights. He's pushing back on the officers and isn't giving into their demands. Did that stand out to you, too? Yeah, he does seem to know his rights. At the very least, he uh, he believed he knew his rights at the time, and that he did not have to answer any of these man's questions, did not have to prove that he owned his own store. I want to know what you're doing in the store at 1 o'clock in the morning. Okay, if I tell you it's my store, then what? Then show me that it's your store. I do not have to show you nothing. If I tell you it's my store, then what? I do not have to prove anything to you. Is this if I tell you if it's my store, then what? And I think the very striking thing that I'm hearing a lot of people talking about as they read the story and, and the opinions get back to me is what happened to end this situation. And what happened to end this situation was that a second police officer arrived 
and he had the idea to have Mr. Khalif put his keys in the door to prove that he belonged there. Prove to us just, that you have keys. How is my store? Okay, 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 wait. See, no, that's a perfect okay. thing. I just asked for I that. Okay, okay. You know what? Put wait. the key in the door and we're out of here. Put the key in the door? Put the key in the door. If, you, if, if this is your store, you have the key Not you if I'm telling you. There you go. Stand back, please. There you Do go. not raise your voice at me. Okay? Put the key in the door Don't we're out of here. Don't raise your voice at me. Just chill. I'm going to put my key in the door. And Mr. Khalif. At that point, it seemed like he was just tired of dealing with it, wanted to get it over with. He starts to put the key in the door, but before he can, a neighbor across the street hollers, That's his store! What's that? That's his store! And this neighbor, as it happens, is a white man, and immediately the police say, Thank, Thank you, sir. That's all I need to know. Thank you. See ya. So in that moment, it was clear that the officers trusted a white neighbor across the street rather than the black business owner they've been talking to for several minutes at that time. It's abundantly clear. So this was the summer of 2020. And Tiburon is this, for people who aren't familiar with it, is this really quiet, wealthy coastal town. And then they're confronted with this particular moment at Yemma. What did the situation exemplify and how did the town react? So the situation to people in Tiburon, certainly to the couple who owns the store, it simplified, you know, issues that they say they'd been having uh, anyway as black people in this country and in that town that is very uh, heavily white and the, the black population is very, very small. They say that they're looked at, at, have been looked at as outsiders and they've been, you know, harassed by some people because of that. They also say that they've gotten a whole lot of support from people in the community. Mm-hmm. And tell me about how the couple wanted to initially address this incident, which they've described as being quite traumatizing. So initially, what they did was they went to the city. They, you know, uh, Mr. Khalif told me they had no interest in hiring attorneys. They didn't want to hire attorneys. He says that they went to the city and started going to city council meetings and started raising what happened to them and started pushing for change. Their lawyers even asked them about filing a lawsuit and they rebuffed that idea because they just didn't want to do that. I asked Mr. Khalif more about that, and he told me that he, he really emphasized to me that the reason that it was not about money for them and that it wasn't about involving the courts, it was he wanted to deal with the people who, they want, who were there in Tiburon. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, he said, that their background growing up where they did, him in Kenya, her in Ethiopia, he says you know, where we come from, you, you know, we're not suing each other all the time. If if there's a problem, the elders handle it. The mm-hmm. elders come in before you take something to court or to the police or whatever. And that really guided him, and he wanted to set an example for what other people could do instead of going the lawsuit route. Now, they, now they did threaten a lawsuit, a $2 million lawsuit at one point, but they have maintained that that was only for pressure. They did not want to file it. They desperately didn't want to file it, and they actually never did. More with Joshua Sharp after a quick break. We'll find out what came out of those negotiations between the couple and the city of Tiburon. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Joshua Sharp, before the break, you explained how Yemma Khalif and Howie Awash wanted to negotiate a settlement with the city of Tiburon outside of the courts. 
they were able to achieve some police reforms. What are they? Probably the biggest reform that that the couple is excited about is this new citizens advisory panel that will be formed. One of them will be on it, at least for one term. People can come to the panel and raise concerns about traffic stops or about interactions with police or things police are doing or police aren't doing. And it can also facilitate conversation between police officers and the community. Another thing that's happening is officers are now, they'll be carrying business cards that have their information on it, but on the back, there's a way to report any concerns you may have about what went on with that officer. And there's a way to contact the citizen advisory panel as well. Also in response to this, the police department has increased the frequency of their bias training. Instead of every five years, officers now will get bias training every two. And so this was a direct negotiation between the couple and the city. This was something that they worked out in terms of a deal that felt comfortable on both sides. Can you tell me a little bit more about how those negotiations went about? They didn't want to go into the courts. However, the mediation that took place might have looked a bit like mediation would in a lawsuit setting. They did bring in an elder in this situation who was a retired judge who helped facilitate the mediation. And after a period of many, many months, they've come to an agreement that the the owners of Yema are happy with. And the couple did receive a $150,000 payment. What are they planning to do with that money? So they run a scholarship fund through the store, and they plan to donate a significant portion to that. So, Joshua, you've reported on criminal justice for some time now, and a lot of cases involving the police and racial discrimination often involves litigation. From your perspective, is this a happy story, sort of an ideal way to reach a conclusion for some of these very traumatizing incidents for people? Is this a way that people or cities should consider achieving meaningful reform? Well, it's certainly one way to do it, and it's a way that the store owners here very much um, believe in and think that could be a model for other cities. They want to see other communities handle themselves in the same way that they did in this situation um, with Tiburon. Is it a happy story? I'll say this. I'll quote Mr. Khalif. He said, we are happy with this settlement. And then he corrected himself. He said, we are somewhat happy with this settlement. And what it is, and I talked to him a bit later, and, and I think what it, what it is is that they just wish this had not happened. You know, this is something that has followed them and followed them. It's not just the trauma that they may have gone through. Because this video went viral online, many of the people who watched that contacted them. And those people were for them and against them. But some of them were very much against them. And that was, a, that was more trauma. Somebody uh, sent a message on Instagram, they say, which threatened to burn the store. Um, just the whole thing was a terrible ordeal for them. So is it a happy story? It might be a, it might be a tough story with a, with a bit of a happy ending. But it does seem like where a lot of incidents around the police and discrimination gets dragged out in long litigation, does it set an example for citizens to directly negotiate with city leaders? Is that a route that people should consider? That is definitely what uh, Mr. Khalif and his and his wife and their lawyers are saying. They are very proud of that aspect of this, that they, instead of going 
you know, the federal lawsuit way, which many people would, and I'm not saying that they're wrong to do it, but they didn't want to do it. And they thought that everyone could be saved a lot of trouble and heartache if the people who have the problem just get together and talk instead of involving all of these other people who have nothing to do with it, you know, like a judge or whomever. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted more than money was change. So now there are different ways to make change. You can file a federal lawsuit and you can take all of the years that it takes to go through that and have change come that way. But they're saying, hey, we did this in two years and we feel like we made some real consequential change. And we would really like to see more people try to do this. It's certainly something to think about. Joshua, thank you so much for your reporting and for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Joshua Sharp is a criminal justice reporter at The Chronicle. His story about the owners of Yemma and police reform in Tiburon is online now at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening.